Welcome to the Barry Dunn Medicaid Insights Podcast. During this podcast series, we cover timely and relevant topics related to Medicaid trends, systems, and policy considerations. My name is Nicole Field, and I'm here with Chris Davis and Vicki Handy. Chris and I both support states with their Medicaid enterprise modernization efforts, and Vicki helps states with their organization development initiatives. Last time, we talked about organization development what it is, and how states can use it as a tool to help ensure that their organization is ready for Medicaid enterprise system modernization. Now we're going to spend a little bit more time with Vicki and Chris and talk through a few organization development shortcuts that states can consider. And just a quick disclaimer, the content we're covering in this podcast is based on our experience at Barry Dunn supporting states with efforts related to CMS certification. We do not speak for CMS, nor do we have the authority to do so. We're sharing our current understanding based on the clients that we're supporting and the information that we've learned supporting these clients with certification pilots. So I said there's the best practice way and then there's some shortcuts. That's great, Vicki, but we're already, <laughs> you know, a third of the way into our project plan for modernization. Yeah. I have a hiring freeze and um, I have a problem with a lot of my staff are looking at retirement um, and there's nobody to take their place. These are some of the issues I've heard working with different state Medicaid agencies. Does that sound similar to you? Yes. Yeah. And I'm really curious to hear about the shortcut because I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the shortcuts are... a much more rapid and accelerated um, development of understanding around the why, around those indicators. And this is where it gets tough because you have to have the courage to really challenge your assumptions, to really challenge um, your assumptions around transparency People need to understand the data. They need to understand what is happening in our state and their role in impacting the health of the people in their state. And they have to own that process. So one shortcut is to accelerate the transparency of information in ways that people can understand. And I'm gonna say, if you ever hear the words, that's available on SharePoint. That's available on the website. <laughs> Our system can produce a report on that. You need to talk to, hmm, I don't know who you need to talk to, but I know our system can do that. <laughs> Chances are we have not hit the target. When we talk about building transparency, sometimes that is taking the extra step to make it a push. When I, what I mean by a push is, I am, I am repackaging the, that information in a way that makes sense to my audience, to the staff, the so what. The other thing is, is that we walk them through the comparison. So if we are looking at timeliness, here's where we are today on timeliness. This is where we were pre-pandemic. This is where we, and, and doing some trend analysis. 
statistics scare most people. But if you can turn it into something that's meaningful, something that they can really wrap their hands around, then they can do something about it. So that's the first shortcut. Really accelerate transparency. To do that, you have to improve your communication mechanisms. One of the things that I have seen as a major um, uh, element in being successful during this public health emergency is the insistence, persistence, and consistency of leaders to stay connected to their workforce. That means being on video when you meet. That means bringing some joy and fun in. That means taking a little extra time in meetings to, to talk about the things that are, are impacting us. Everyone is facing major challenges at home, with their family, with their kids, um, homeschool, uh, figuring out college. It doesn't matter. During this pandemic, as we try to be more connected, you're going to be bringing people in. I lean into you, you're gonna lean back into me. And we can become more collaborative. We can think outside of the box. And in fact, we can actually use this remote work setting to our advantage as it's forcing us to be innovative. Now let's be innovative beyond technology and in our processes and um, how we work together. So first shortcut, fast transparency. Second shortcut, invest the time to connect with your folks. Um, and the third shortcut is, I hate to say, use the word force, but I'll say create the standard that planning involves all of the stakeholders. It involves policy, it involves operations, it involves systems. And if we don't have consensus and alignment at the top of, the, of our planning process, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What are our measurable outcomes? What are the requirements? What is the vision for what we're trying to, to do? If we don't have that, that's where you're going to see a lot of stops and actually a lot of additional expense. Um, I, I'll add one more, and that is really question any fragmentation. Um, for example, if we have a hiring freeze, we know people are retiring um, and the demand for the work is just going up. We have to rethink how we manage people. And one of those, and this is based on 30 years of research on structuring teams for high performance, is question boundaries. If we have a system that has a profile that allows Chris to do a whole process, but I can only do this process because I have a limited um, job classification. Mm. It's challenge anytime you have a break there. People are significantly more capable than what we give them credit for sometimes. 
broaden the expectations, expect development, make it a job expectation that you understand the whole process and that eventually you can do the entire process. Um, that in itself is going to change things. The other pain point is, um, well, Nicole's the expert on this, but she's going to be retiring and I don't know how we're going to make it work because in fact, we've built a process around Nicole's expertise and the quality isn't in the process. The quality is in Nicole. <laughs> so um, with that, if you, if you know you have a skill knowledge deficit outside of Nicole, <laughs> then um, the other thing you can do is start having people document. I want you to write down what you do, the step-by-step, -step, and then start comparing. And um, as you do that, it's very important to go into it with the expectation and ground rule. We do this with no blame and no shame. If I feel like I need to hide what I do because I think that, that Chris might judge me, I am not going to be courageous. I am not going to put any ideas forward. If I think that if I say, well, this process has a flaw, then somebody might say, well, Vicki, why didn't you fix it? Mm. If, I'm a, if, if you go in with fear or shame or guilt, you are guaranteed to not make the changes needed. If you go in with saying, you know what we're doing today is great. What we've done to this point is successful. No blame, no shame. Now, how do we evolve to the next? And you need to be part of it. All of a sudden, it just turns it around. So, so much of this is how we lead people and the expectations we place on people. I've heard some uh, states say, well, our state HR just won't allow us to do that. Or our union contract is very clear on job classifications and working outside a class. Have you guys ever heard that? I have heard that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Realize that that state HR department and that union or unions are part of the stakeholder group. They're part of the collaborative team. If there is a, a, a union representing the employees, their focus should be on the long-term success of those employees, right? And so ensuring the development for them should be the goal. It always comes back to what really are the goals? What are we trying to achieve? And if you can align your stakeholders to believing in that, and demonstrating a shared set of values in actions, behaviors, and words, you can accelerate um, your design and improvements without accelerating uh, the investments and the time it takes to make it happen. Sorry, that was a long answer for a short question. Those are the best answers, Vicki, so we definitely appreciate it. And I actually want to circle back to something that you've mentioned a few times, and that's organizations defining their program outcomes, the why behind what they're doing. And we've seen CMS ask 
this of states, and that's to begin to define those things in uh, things like APDs, for example. And we've seen this with the new certification efforts. But we're also seeing states struggle because this really seems like an effort that goes against the traditional thinking in this space, especially when you're involving technology, the technology side of the house. Just quickly, how would you suggest states try to approach defining those outcomes at that level and then articulating them? That's a great question. And I think that it's, it's very important to realize that you need to define it for different audience groups because defining system requirements is not the same as designing program outcomes. The system requirements need to be able to deliver the outcomes and the information that tells us what we're doing. <laughs> so um, I know that there are uh, huge uh, efforts with health analytics to take a look at the impact to the community. But sometimes that's a little distant to the basic staff person. That's just too far away. If we want to talk infant mortality and I'm, you know, processing a claim, <laughs> that's hard to make that connection. And so it's, it's not just looking at the, the really big picture outcomes, but also the things that are in my circle of control that I can impact. I can impact the timeliness of our process. And so we can build um, energy and synergy around our cycle time, our shared cycle time, not mine, ours, because Let's say Chris and Nicole are awesome, but Vicky's kind of a slacker. <laughs> it's our collective work product that's what that's important. So part of it is understanding the why and the outcomes at such a deep level that you can pull out the audience appropriate connection. Because if you make it too esoteric too intangible for me, I can't engage. I start to withdraw. I'll, the average person will start to withdraw and it's like, whatever, that's Chris's thing. <laughs> but if you can have something that touches my circle of control, something that I can engage in, I can wrap my, heart, my hands around. And I hate to sound hokey, but it's very true. Something I can engage my heart in. I am going to be all in to make it work. And in Medicaid, we literally impact people's lives. We impact families. It is very easy to find the heart in what we do and, don't, and to embrace that and to connect people's motivation to that is important. I like that, Vicki. I like kind of bringing the connection for each person in the organization and where they sit in the role that they play and really taking the outcome and what you're trying to achieve, but making it really specific to the role and the sphere of control that that staff person actually has and making it, if I'm hearing you correctly, understanding, really making it meaningful. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, in a nutshell, the things that we analyze and specifically improve fall into six major categories for organizational health. The first is leadership. The second is strategy. The third is workforce. The fourth is operations processes. The fifth is person-centered service. And the sixth are program outcomes. This structure aligns with the national Malcolm Baldrige uh, Quality Award for government. It aligns with best practices and standards from the American Society for Quality, for the Association for Talent Development. If we are approaching our analysis, our planning, our development, and our integration of those six key organizational elements, chances are you're going to see a huge improvement in performance, impact, and program outcomes. Fantastic. That's what we all want to see, right? That's right. And our new organizational excellence inventory is designed to analyze those six categories. Again, based on 30 years of research on um, high-performing organizations. And so we can help you, uh, an organization with the analysis and with the development and with creating a, a shared roadmap that really mobilizes every single person in the organization, helping them move the needle on uh, the North Star. Well, that wraps up our podcast for today. Please let us know what Medicaid topics you're interested in hearing more about. And thank you so much for listening in.